up, everybody? We are less than seven days and a wake-up away from the 2023 NFL Draft and one of the most important events in recent Chicago Bears history. They are entering, uh, and we are also entering the bottom of the first inning of the 2023 Major League Baseball season. How's everybody doing tonight? Doing good, sir. How are you? Awesome. Awesome. Doing good. We're getting some uh we're getting some crazy weather over here. I got weather overhead. I don't know what's gonna happen. If if it does, we're gonna have to let this I'm gonna have to say great Scots and let Clee Campbell take over. It's it's a madhouse over here in the monster of the madhouse, man. Let me tell you, I'm I'm freaking out right now. Well, that means I'm gonna click pause. What's that, Matt? I said that means I'm gonna click Clee Campbell taking over. I'm gonna click off them and I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who? Cleese drinking straight whiskey tonight, telling everyone it's iced tea. This is going to be a great night. I can't wait. <laughs> you know, fellas, two scores of iced tea. Two ounce scores of iced tea. Yeah, okay. That is okay. not. He's just trying to get us. He's just trying to get us sponsored by Snapple. That's all. He's like, I don't gotta run this thing tonight. Trax is doing. It. I'm gonna sit back and have a drink and have a good time. And absolutely, yeah. <laughs> there we I go. Hear you, I'm sure that was. I'm, I'm sure that was green apple something too, right, Coop? <laughs> um, liquid death something. There's Coop's there's a lot, of, He's got uh, a lot of good stuff, stuff going on in uh, Chicago sports right now to keep up with. But have no fear, man. We're all here for you. Foz, Cleet, Matt, and myself, we're here to uh, cover you and take care of you. No, no worries. And we got Josh Nelson in the house. Josh, the full truth Nelson. How you doing tonight, brother? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you. So, yeah, we were just talking about how there's so much going on right now. and uh, But you know what? We got Chicago's most fun uh, uh, podcast covering this right now. We got you tonight to cover our Sox news, we're uh, very interested to get into that. But first, we, before we get started, uh, you know, we just want to talk real quick about our sponsors. We got TC World of Wonders, where Chicago sports memorabilia, uh, memorabilia come true. Serendipity Ice Cream Parlor, where it's always the su summertime at Serendipity Ice Cream Parlor. And Budget Cars, your trusted friends for safe, reliable transportation. So, you know, let's just get into it real quickly. I'm your guy, Brandon the Hitman Hyatt. Uh, we've got a great American football fan uh, over to our top left, Foz, the Fozinator. Uh, we've got uh, Matt Cooper. Uh, we've got uh, and Clee Campbell from our CSP's uh, main office. Really excited about that. And... Uh, Let's just get started with, and we've also got Kellen Davis in the house. What up, Kellen? What's up, What's Kellen? Up, What's up, man? What's going on? 2023 bowling champion Kellen Davis is in the house tonight. <laughs> oh, man. You can't say that, you can't say that on the <laughs> Bears tight end alumni Kellen Davis is in the house to help us uh, break it down. Uh, right now, we've got Josh Nelson covering the Sox. Then after that, we'll have uh, James Big Cat Williams, amazing player that uh, Kellen knows personally. So 
we're so excited to unpack that. And then uh, following that, we'll have uh, David Schuster. So let's get right into it with uh, Josh, the Full Truth Nelson. Uh, our coverage of the Southsider uh, reporter, Josh Nelson of the Sox uh, Machine podcast, which uh, is part of the Blue Wire Pods Network and the White Sox contributor of the Sox, Bernstein and Holmes. Josh, welcome to our madhouse. How are you doing tonight, brother? Uh, I'm doing well for having me on, guys. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, so let's just get right into it. Just going to ask you a question real quick. How did you fall in love with uh, baseball as a kid, Josh? <laughs> uh, it's my grandpa. Uh, I, actually, my father passed away when I was around six years old. And uh, to help cope, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents down in Sarasota, Florida, Bradenton, Sarasota, Florida. And uh, he got me into baseball. He bought me my first glove, taught me how to play catch, took me to my first game, which was a Sarasota White Sox game back when the White Sox spring training facility was at Ed Smith's in Sarasota, where the mosquitoes are the size of birds. And uh, I grew up. At that time, as a kid in Champaign, Illinois, so this is around 1991, and uh, Frank Thomas is coming on to the scene, and uh, I kind of latched on to him. Uh, and he's the big Hurst. He had a huge persona to him, and obviously he was past a baseball player, winning the MVP in '93. And you have a player that you attach to early, and they excel on the level that Frank. Uh, made it pretty easy with baseball. Wow, yeah. So with, with that love that uh, kindled, you know, that fire in you, uh, and it uh, led to your passion of, of covering the, the White Sox, how did that take place? Well, getting started, we used to run outside Sox on SB Nation. And uh, my partner, Jim Margulis, yeah, he was more on the writing side and I'm more as far as the multimedia side. So this is our 10th season covering the Chicago Sox together. He's been covering the White Sox since uh, 2005, uh, last when they won the World Series. So he's been doing it longer than I have. And uh, it's been quite the journey, uh, the long seasons with the Chicago White Sox. Some ups. A lot more downs, especially with how this season has started for the White Sox. Uh, but we just felt like there was a void in White Sox coverage, and we attempt to fill that in covering the team every single day. Yeah. Okay, so, Josh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead Foz. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, Josh, I grew up probably around the same time you did. I'm like 40 years old. So I grew up, Frank Thomas is my favorite baseball player of all time. Him, Ventura, uh, and that 94 White Sox team. I know you remember that. And most definitely the year they struck. So, I mean, for me as a kid, that kind of impacted me, them going on strike, things of that nature. So for you being such a diehard fan and then literally where you are today now, how did that impact you as a kid when that strike happened back during like when your heroes were on the field? Yeah, th th that's a good question. I started to get pretty serious about playing baseball, uh, especially little league and travel around that time. Uh, so that helped. But I think a lot of people Foz, like our age range, 1998, uh, even Frank Thomas wasn't really involved in the home run chase, just watching Mark McGuire do what they were doing. Oh, yeah. And they chasing history, baseball. Uh, bringing baseball back into the fold. Mm -hmm. 
It definitely saved baseball. And, you know, lucky for being a White Sox fan, then 2000 came along. And that White team was very entertaining. Won the AL Central. uh, One of the best offenses in franchise history. A little heartbreaking that the best friend, the best offensive franchise history couldn't score against the Seattle Mariners in that playoff series. Uh, but I, I've just decided to be super loyal uh, to being a fan during those years. Obviously, paid off in 2005, and I would say in the last ten years, your appreciation of the sport and how. The sport has evolved in discovering players and in the player development has really garnered my interest on on that front and try to convey on what the best teams and the best organizations try to attempt to do when they are developing a player and convey those mids and those end results from a White Sox perspective to kind of cover the gaps when people ask the question. Los Angeles Dodgers, Astro, like the Atlanta Braves. I we attempt at Sox Machine to answer that question of where the gaps are, of why they are in the position that they're in now and what they need to do to take that next step forward so they can reclaim glory like we saw back in 2005. Hey, Josh, you know, the 2023 White Sox season has opened up a, a lot like the 2022 uh, season. Sloppy fundamental play. Uh, costly early season injuries and an inability for the Sox to put anything together, uh, you know, any kind of winning streak. What's the biggest factor in the team's struggle out of the gate for a second straight season? And this is a really good question. And I, I think immediately the injuries come to the forefront because right now, as we speak, Tim Anderson and Yohan McCotter are on the injured list. So that's the entire left side of the infield for the Chicago White. And not having those two guys, and, and both Tim Anderson and Yohan Mikata had strong starts to the season. Not having them in the lineup uh, has created this type of void. And Eloy Jimenez got hurt, and he went on the injured list, and now he's back off the injured list, and he's not hitting. That's that's a big factor. The pitching has been instantly inconsistent. You could see some starts on Tuesday night where Lucas Giolito throws six no-hit innings and the White Sox shot out the Phillies and they only allow one hit. And then you could see a complete hat against Baltimore in which the Orioles scored at least six runs in every single game. Uh, it, it's been a bit frustrating. It's really hard to pinpoint like what is the biggest thing. I want to say it's the injuries to you on McCaw Anderson, and I want to believe that if they were healthy, the White Sox would have a couple more wins. But what is bad on this team is really bad to start the season. And unfortunately for their schedule, it does not get any easier in the next 10 games. So they've already dug themselves a hole. And what they're going to try to attempt to do in these next two in these next 10 games is not dig themselves a grave uh, because they will be going to Tampa Bay and Toronto for their next two series and they come home and the reward for that which is very difficult is a four game home uh, home series against the Tampa but this is a really critical 10 game stretch for the White Sox to try to find some rhythm trying to find some good vibes to get back on their winning ways or they're going to start the month of May very far below 500 to start the season how you know, do they Josh, get out of the mess that they're in right now, Josh? 
Well, I think one, they got to pitch back, and the pitching's got to be more consistent. If they can help on the run prevention side and be more consistent in keeping their opponents to, say, three to four runs, that's going to put them in more games. The offense has got to be more consistent as well. They have the ability to have big innings where they score two, three, four runs at a particular inning. Jake Berger, since he's joined the White Sox, is hitting a lot of power. Uh, Andrew Vaughn hit his first home run, but he's been hitting really well for the White Sox. So they have the potential to put up crooked numbers offensively, but it's just not consistent. They don't have a consistent approach through the entire game. So I think step one is stop allowing your opponents to score five plus runs because that seems more difficult, especially on the offense, looking for consistency. But an offense can find more consistency if they can put together multiple crooked innings uh, scoring against their opponent. I think then you're going to find some balance they're gonna get yourself on a winning streak but right now it's they'll have some games like they have tuesday in game one against the phillies where lance lynn is not good for three innings and five to nothing so the pitching puts the white Sox off offense right now is just not performing at the level to get themselves out of that hole and that's why as we speak they're seven and twelve you know, Josh, uh, we're sitting here talking about the White Sox, and you brought up the Orioles, who I think is kind of a good comparison when we're comparing this White Sox team because the Orioles have done it the right way. They brought up their young guys, and I was watching that series, and I'm like, I'm almost like a little bit jealous because I like how 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 they run the bases, how they hit, timely hitting, and I almost thought in this off season that. We could say Rick Hahn didn't do enough, but he, I mean, obviously banking on some of the players coming back and not being so hurt. But I also thought at the same time we had too many DHs on this team, and I think that's already started off early in the season already with with Jake Berger at third base, Gavin Sheets at different spots in the outfield, and I feel like on top of of our timely offense, maybe not getting the runs that we needed, it's also part of our defense because again, I feel like we have some of these players in the wrong spots because either some of these players are hurt or we don't have the type of players that we need to have in right field or third base or shortstop. Yeah, the roster construction is definitely coming into focus, Matt, especially with how this season has started. When guys get hurt, because the White Sox have depth in the wrong places. They're not very deep at shortstop, so they had to sign Elvis Andrews. And right now, Elvis Andrews is somewhat of a godsend because you can count on him defensively to play shortstop while Tim Anderson is out but they don't really have a reliable third base option and, and they're they're running with jake berger and he's doing the best that he can but defensively after having two achilles surgeries his range is not the same as it was when he was coming out of college at missouri where there were a lot of concerns coming out of college that he would have the range at third base but when you tear your he's twice uh, it's a different type of story when it comes to range. But Berger's doing the best that he can. If the White Sox had Andrew Vaughn go in the injury list, then there's no concern, really, because they have Jake Berger. They've got Gavin Sheets, as you mentioned. Uh, Eloy Jimenez is supposedly good enough to take the DH spot, but he's been really struggling. My biggest concern is on the starting pitching front. The White Sox do not have any depth when it comes to starting pitchers. So right now we're talking about injuries to Tim Anderson and Yohan Makata, and we're seeing the White Sox really struggle. Fingers crossed, punch a hole through the next wooden object, whether that's your door or your desk, that nothing happens to Dylan Cease or Lucas Giolito. 
Because if those guys go on the injured list, things can unwind very quickly for the White Sox. So right now, like compared to Baltimore, they have a lot of young talent. And it is led by Adley Rushman. And they have put together some veteran bats that have been consistent for them. Baltimore's got a great offense. I think they need more pitching. That's the difference between them and trying to win the American League East right now is that division is completely stacked. But to your point, you look around for Baltimore, and they ha- they have an answer at every single position. The White Sox have answers at some positions. The other positions are trying to make first base DH types work at those, those positions, hoping they hit well enough to overcome their defensive weaknesses. And it just really hasn't happened according to plan for the White Sox. Josh, I got one more question for you, and then we got to let you go because we got James Williams coming on at uh, 7.50, uh, Big Cat. Uh, just a question. You know, the, do you think the team's still struggling to adapt to MLB's new pace of play uh, rules? You know, that, that's a good question. I don't think they've been struggling to adapt. Uh, the, the pitchers that I was concerned about – uh, have made the transition pretty well. Lance Lynn was one that I was concerned about. Mike Clevenger uh, was a pitcher I was concerned about because in previous seasons, they took their time uh, with their delivery. Uh, Clevenger had this wonky delivery to try to upset the timing of hitters before making the pitch, and he's had to make an adjustment. So I don't think it's been so much that. Uh, I think what is really going to be interesting for the White Sox moving forward is keeping runners at first base uh, because Yasmani Grandal and Sebi Zavala, they are working on their craft to make the transitions at home play to make stronger throws and quicker throws to second base. But I worry that as the season continues, teams are going to pick up on how to steal second base more often, and that's going to be another problem the White Sox will have to handle. So I, I don't think it's so much that. It's, it's just... It comes to a point that all of these players the White Sox acquired in the rebuild received so much hype that they have to live up to their potential. And here we are in 2023, and they are really struggling for some of them to live up to their potential. And there's just not enough players around carrying the weight to overcome the early obstacles. And that's why we're talking about a White Sox team that's five games below 500 to start the season. And Josh, I wish we could have interviewed you on uh, better, better, uh, you know, conditions. Hopefully, in the near future, <laughs> things will improve, and we can have you back on. This was not by any. We did not have any ill intentions to bring you on during this time. Okay, I swear it's not. Hey, yeah, it's, so it, it's it's no problem. It's part of the gig. So if they're good, yeah, yeah everybody wants to talk to you. If they're, if they're bad, yeah, everybody wants to talk to you. So it's just part of the gig. <laughs> All right. You have yourself a good night. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you. Thanks, Josh. Josh. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, the big cat lowdown. We've all witnessed uh, our next guest redefine excellence at the offensive tackle position over a 12-year career. James Big Cat Williams was big money every Sunday for us and has been named the – one of the top 100 greatest players in Chicago Bears history. Yeah, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, let's introduce Big Cat. Welcome to the Madhouse. What's up, guys? How are you? Can you guys hear me? Yes, yes sir. Okay. okay. All right. All right. How's it going? You guys all ready for the Yeah. Oh, you know it, sir. Yeah. Any, any, any predictions? <laughs> 
Any more predictions? <laughs> no quarterbacks going in the first round. <laughs> again. I said no quarterbacks going in the first round. That's my prediction. <laughs> I wish it was that easy, man. I wish it was that easy. We're trading the ninth pick for Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> so do you, do you notice to the left of you, we have Kellen Davis on, on the, the podcast tonight. Kellen I, Davis see, I was wondering out. if somebody kicked him out the house or if he just if he always stands out there. <laughs> What's going on, man? Oh, nothing. Man, it is cold. So hard to get a hold of you, Big Cat. You're a mover and a shaker, but now that we got you, let's ask you a couple questions. Big Cat, uh, does draft season take you back to that unpredictable season, uh, spring of 1991, where everyone in the NFL included your beloved Chicago Bears, our beloved Chicago Bears, and 28 teams back then passed you up uh, back then foolishly? Um, you know what, man? I I wasn't one of those people that grew up dreaming about playing in the NFL. Um, I didn't start playing football until I was a junior in high school. So that was the first time I ever put equipment on and, you know, ran around the football field. So um, football was still – it was still new to me. Um, Rod Graves, who used to work in the scouting department here at the Bears and later was GM at Arizona, um, was actually the first guy I ever met with. Uh, he came up and he came up to scout a fullback that was playing at one of our rival schools that wasn't too far away from us. And, you know, my junior year, he was like, you know, every time I looked at him, I saw you popping out on film. So he was like, you know, continue to make strides, work hard, get stronger and, you know, see, see, see what can happen. So I, I did that. You know, he gave me some of the best advice that I had ever gotten from anybody. And it was, you know, anytime you step on that field, you know, you're on camera. So you make it count. Whether it be practice, a game, you know, whenever you touch that, whenever you touch that grass, you know, it's everything's live. So, you know, I took that to heart and ran with it and, you know, turned into a, a nice little career here at the Bay. What do you think? Big Cat, huge fan, my friend. Go ahead, bud. Say again. Go ahead, Foss. We're good. No, I was just say, uh, big fan, bud. Absolutely love you as a player, man. For Chicago Bears, you're the best. Uh, with this draft coming up, my friend, obviously Bears got the number nine overall pick. Offensive lineman, you know we're in need. You think the Bears are going to get that guy down on the grunt? They they have to accumulate accumulate offensive linemen somehow, somewhere. Um, whether it be get some young guys, some more young guys, because you've got you to take advantage of the couple young guys that you had played last year that did pretty well, and they're only going to get better with time, but they need the experience on the field going against that type of competition. Um, if you bring another young guy in and if you're able to get one with that first pick, whether it be the kid from Ohio State or uh, even the kid from the local kid, uh, uh, what's his name? Strasburg? Huh? Uh, Skorinski? Yeah, something like that. Um, one of those Polish names? Yeah, Skoronski. One of those skis? 
you know, everybody talks about his arms being too short and he'll have to play guard. But, I mean, if you're looking at him for uh, a right tackle because you think that Braxton Jones can improve and hold up at left tackle, um, you, you're able to do something good. But, you know, it's all about none of us know what Ryan Poles is thinking right now. We don't know where guys are rated on his board. We don't know what guys have the green check marks, what guys have the red check marks. And we also don't know who's going to be off the board by the time the Bears get to pick at nine. So, I mean, those are all things that you have to think about and you have to look at. But, you know, when you talk about the offensive line, they're in need of offensive linemen. So uh, you'd have to imagine that they are going – I mean, you know, they addressed it a little bit picking up the Nate guy from uh, Tennessee. But they are going to have to address both sides of the line of scrimmage in this draft. Um, so it's all about what can you get, what what kind of bang are you going to get for your buck? Yes, sir. Uh, if you're Ryan Poles, if you're Ryan Poles, who do you take at number nine? <laughs> That's way above my pay grade, man. <laughs> That's way above my pay grade. It's a bad I mean, it's not, though. <laughs> there's just so many. There are just so many questions because you don't know who's going to be on the board, who's going to be off the board. You know, it's a big defensive tackle from Georgia. Um, what's his name? Uh, Jalen. Is he going to be still on the board? You know, are you willing to take a chance with a guy like that? Are you willing? I mean, you know, this is your this is your first big draft. You know, are you uh, you got an early pick? Are you gonna Are you gonna risk it? Do you think it's worth the risk? I mean, there there are just so many questions. You and you need so much. You know, we we can sit here as fans and tell you what we think the Bears need. You know, you're gonna go offensive line. You're gonna go defensive line, inside outside. You're gonna go. You need backups at cornerbacks. You probably need another tight end. You, I mean. Another running back. There are things that you need, you know, but in what order do these things fall on Ryan Poles' death chart? You know, is protecting fields the most important thing? Is getting another guy in there that can rush the passer or be a run stopper, be that three technique? You know, we just don't know what his, you know, what his priority is going into this draft. Let me ask you a question because you're an offensive lineman and you got an offensive uh, lineman mind. I, I was too, but obviously not at your level because we're interviewing you, not me. Thank God. Um, but, but here's the deal. If you are Ryan Poles and he's played offensive line, is it inherent for you to just automatically like we need offensive linemen uh, first round, second round, every draft? Or, or, I mean, because you know what I'm trying to say? Like, I, I yeah, feel I, like. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, I, I, I feel as though, yeah, if I was a GM as an, as, as an ex-offensive lineman, I know exactly what I'm looking for. I know exactly what I want. Um, but the problem is now I'm running a 57-man organization. You know what I mean? I have to have all 53 guys on the field. And I know that they have to be productive. Now, is my biggest is my biggest need, you know, with all the needs we have in this rebuild, is my biggest need offensive line, you know? And that's the, that's the thing that we don't know. You know, you have a defensive coordinator, 
minded head coach now. So you know he's going to want his guys, and he's going to say, hey, if we can run the ball and we can play well enough defense, Fields will make a few plays for us with his legs. You know, not only the plays that he makes with his legs, but the plays that he uses his legs to get him by himself some more time to get the ball downfield to these newfound receivers that we have. You know, we don't we don't know where his mind's at, man. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a big job. I, I for as much as I would want it, I wouldn't want it. <laughs> Cleet, Kellen, Coop, you guys got anything? Foss? Any yeah, questions? I do. Uh, Big Cat, you know, I, I'm looking at this draft, and as next week as we're all watching, I'm sure we'll be sipping a nice cold beverage somewhere, which I certainly will be. And um, we talk about some of the linemen in this draft, some of the tackles going possibly higher. What is the difference, uh, just going back here, because I'm always interested in this, because playing at the most elite level can be very difficult. Uh, what is the biggest difference from going when you see some of these tackles that are going in, like, maybe the first 15 picks of this draft? What is something that you would recommend for somebody going to the next level, something that they need to work on or something that maybe they're not expecting when they when they get go to their next team and they go probably start right off the gate? Well, I think the biggest thing is when when you're dealing with kids from Ohio State or you know Wisconsin or the big colleges you're talking about kids that have played against some of the best competition that there is, Alabama, Georgia, you know, Tennessee. These are kids that on a weekly basis are usually playing against the best that, that there is, the, the best that's coming up. When you're talking about the smaller schools or even Division II schools, you know, like myself, you're, you're kind of guessing. You know, you're, you're guessing whether or not this body style, yes, he has, yes, the guy has the body style, yes, the guy has the temperament, but it wasn't against this level of athlete. It wasn't against your, you know, top tier two percenters, you know, that he's going to now have to face week in and week out. And not only are you putting um, superior athletes over top a lineman that might have never played against someone like that, but now you're putting superior coaching up against it also. So now they're scheming things against a left tackle that is a little bit vulnerable to the bull rush. Now you scheme things to take advantage of that situation. Um, so as a young guy coming in, you know, we, we talk about this all the time as far as you got to be strong. You, you've got to come into this league strong. And a lot of times when you're dealing with guys from smaller schools, um, they, they lack that. It's not that they don't have the ability to have that. You know, they just have to, they just have to learn. They have to be taught. They have to be instructed. They have to be shown the way, you know, um, you know, like let's talk about Braxton Jones. You know, he's a guy that as he gets bigger, as he gets stronger, as he fills out, if he keeps progressing, he's exactly what the Bears are looking for. You know, but it's it's all about him. It's all about what strides can he make. No one no one can else, no one else can make those strides. He has to make those strides. He has to push himself to get these things done. 
Kellen Davis, can you uh, identify with some of this that what James uh, Woods, Big Cat, saying about coming from a bigger school when you came from Michigan State, being able to play against uh, – did that help you when you got into the NFL, playing against that high-level uh, competition already in college? Yeah, I mean, I got to play play against some of the, some of the best players in the country, you know, on a week-in, week-out basis. And uh, – Played against some guys that were really, really good, and then you know that may be better. Um, but I think it's one of those things you never quite know until you, you know, put on the jersey and step on that, you know, that NFL field for the first time. If you got it or not, you got to give it. Like you said, you got to be tough mentally and physically to make that jump. And you know, the less prepared you are, the less of a chance you have to do well. I, I, I'd say the one. I'd say the one thing is. Coming from college, I don't know if anyone's ever prepared. Their first... <laughs> Seriously, I mean, yeah. okay, think about think about this. I came from a little Division two school as a free agent, right? Um, my my first camp, I come in, you know, I'm in a limo for the first time, rolling the windows up and down, you know, on my way to Hallis Hall. And we have our first practice, and during our first practice, we have one on one pass rushing shadows. And during this one-on-one pass rush, I proceed to throw my best college move, which was a swim move. And Keith Van Horn proceeded to put his right hand completely through my chest. You know, <laughs> in college, it worked. In the pros, it didn't really work that well. You know what I mean? So it's a, it's a, you know, and, and you know when I first go up against Horn, I'm looking at him. I'm like, you know, this guy's kind of old. You know, he's, he's he's a little older. He's he's got a lot of tape on him, and we're just in shells. I was like, I should be able to get this done. But you know, you always hear about. I know I always heard my parents talk about that old man strength. Oh yeah, and, right. yeah, mm-hmm. man. I went back to hey. I legitimately went back to Cheney three days later at the end of that weekend with a palm print on my chest. <laughs> You know, he hit, he hit me that hard. So, I mean, it's, it's welcome to the jump. NFL, sir. Right, right. It's a big jump and it's a big change. But a lot of guys go out there and you lose your first couple battles. I don't care what level you've come in from. I don't care where you've come from. You're going to lose a couple battles. But are you able to mentally restore yourself after those battles and figure out what you can do? Or what you did wrong. You almost make it sound like it's a, a heavyweight boxing match, big cat. You know, it's similar. It's similar because you've got to. I mean, you come in and you know your your balls out. You know everything goes. Yeah, you're 100 miles an hour, and your 100 miles an hour doesn't match up to this guy's 50 miles an hour. And now you've got to figure some things out. We had one of our uh, biggest fans in here ask you guys a million-dollar question. I'd love to ask both of you this because to have two monsters on our set is just mind-blowing. What what was it like to hear your name, to be called, uh, not not so much on draft day, but just to be called by the Chicago Bears and, and know that you're on a, a team, you know? Kellen, you want to go first? Uh, yeah. So um, that's a very surreal like moment. The first time you get to, you know, you're on the 53 and you come out of the tunnel for the first time. It's 
it's nothing like college, you know, for like for me, the stadiums are smaller, but the atmosphere is better, you know, and it was just it was it's like actually getting to live out something you dream of doing, you know, whether whether you started in high school or, you know, college or whatever, you know, like you, you finally made it to the to the pinnacle, to the top of, you know, your profession, you know, even though you're just getting started, it's it's awesome, man. It really is. It makes it makes a lot of the sacrifices worth it. Yeah, I, I have to agree. Um, you know, I wasn't I wasn't a draft day pickup. I uh, with with being a free agent, you kind of you're kind of in a unique situation. Um, I had a couple teams that I was looking at, and the Bears were the most inviting because Richard Dent was here, Fridge was here, McMichael's was here, Trace Armstrong. Um, you know, Singletary, all these guys were still on this defense, but they were getting old. You know, Trace Armstrong, I think, was the only young guy that was playing across the defensive line. And, you know, at that time, I thought, wow, that's a great place to go learn and come up to a system learning from some of the best, you know. Um, so coming here and being able to not only be on a team, but be on a team where the guys take you in and every man, like you said, every man on this 53-man roster has a role. You might not know that role when you get there, but I know like back in the day, it was a lot more, look, once you make the 53-man roster, you're, you're one of us. You know, we all take care of each other and we all help this team move forward, you know, and you have to realize that you have to realize that you are no longer an individual. And now you've got to figure out where your place is as a young guy, you know, but hearing your name coming out of that tunnel for the first time, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of cool, man. I mean, it, it was years before I actually got my name called before coming out of the tunnel, but just to hear your name on me, like, you know, you were substituted in for someone. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, man. Big Ken Kellen, to piggyback off that question, what made me think of this question is um, hearing the backstory of Tanya and our new tight end that we just got um, born in Chicago, raised a Bears fan, made him want to play football. His whole life is a hardcore Bears fan. Go to college, you're getting scouted. It's draft day, and you hear drafted by the Green Bay Packers. I mean, as a fan, being from, like, growing up loving a team, I mean, on draft day, deep down, you're not going to let it out, obviously, to the public or not. Internally, you're just like, man, I don't want to be a Cleveland Brown, or I don't want to go to the Dolphins. Or um, is, that, is that a reality for you guys there on draft day? Even though you're drafted, you're kind of maybe not 100% happy with where you're going. Uh, I mean, some some guys do have that experience um, that I know for a fact of, you know, not wanting to go where they got picked up. But, I mean, he went into a situation where he had Aaron Rodgers for a quarterback. So, I don't think he was all that disappointed. <laughs> sure. I wouldn't have been. But, uh, yeah, no, it's pretty crazy. Uh, I guess, I don't know, once you, once you get picked up, it's just like a relief, you know, I think more than anything, you know, to somebody's putting their – they're hard earned into you, you know, to come and play for them. So, you know, it's good no matter where you go, just as long as you get a shot. 
So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What about you, Big Cat? Hey, man, I'm from Pittsburgh, and I'm still a Steelers fan. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> just the way it is, man. I mean, you know, That's we'd okay. go play Pittsburgh during the season, and I'd have to tell my parents, I'm going to give y'all tickets, but y'all can't wear black and gold. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's it's where I grew up, man. It's, it's all my family has known. So for me to go to the Bears, their loyalty automatically switched to the Bears. You know, my father ran a Bears fan club out of Pittsburgh for like eight years. That's awesome. You know, twice a year they bus up, stay at a hotel, you know, come to the game, stay for a little while after the game and bus back. You know, stop at a casino on the way. So there you go. There we yeah, go. Hey, he had he had it all hooked up. <laughs> you know. He made the best out of the situation, yeah, for sure. But I, and and it's changed nowadays because, like, when I first got here, there wasn't a lot of jumping around. You know, there wasn't a lot of Bears players going to play for Green Bay or going to play for Detroit and things like that. So, you know, the league is a lot different now because a lot of these guys are a lot closer, you know, than as far as just individuals than we were back in the day. Wow, I sound Big really Cat. old man, back in the day. <laughs> Big Cat and uh, Tuesday Kellen, back in the day. Big Cat and Kellen, I got a big question for you guys. I mean, it's just a uh, little bit different uh, because, you know, your backgrounds are similar but different. Um, Big Cat, you went from being undrafted to a 12-year uh, veteran. Can you take us through how the, the Bears scouting team looked for late-round sleepers an undrafted free agent, uh, diamonds in the rough. I mean, you know, you, you look at uh, the pedigree of Ryan Poles too, undrafted, right? So is he always looking for the sleepers or what What was it like for you guys? How did they uh, scout you guys to walk, walk us through that, that process and how, how it was like? You want to go, Kev? Uh, yeah, so for me, I, you know, when I was there and Lovey was there, we we had several guys come through that were, you know, free agents that really contributed to the team. Um, like, let me think, like Johnny Knox, he was a guy that came in, super small school, but came in and made a huge impact on our offense. Um, and we had several guys that were just like that. So I think the ability to find, you know, people in the later rounds can really help fill out your your roster and give you an advantage because you don't have to, I mean, like it, it's a numbers game. You don't have to pay them much. And if you, if you can maximize that value in the later rounds or through free agency or through the free agent pickups, you know, you're, you're putting yourself in a really good position. So I think that's, you know, one of the keys to, you know, operating from, from the GM spot is to be able to not just pick the first rounders, but pick all your, you know, go all the way through and pick up some guys that'll help contribute to the team. Um, free free agents and later round picks, like he's like Ellen said, are very important because if you can find a guy that you're able to pick up as a free agent or that later round pick that can give you some of the abilities that you've seen from some of the first and second round, third round pick type of guys. Uh, it's all about nurturing that guy. It's all about getting that talent out of him, um, hoping that, you know, what you see in him is 
you know, is what you're going to get. You know, you never know because you never know what a guy's mental makeup is once you're out of college, once you're on your own, um, you know, you're paying your own bills, you're getting a check every week for probably more money than you've ever had in your, in your pocket before. Um, you know, these are a lot of things that you have to be responsible for that you've never been responsible before. And on top of that, now you have to learn how to play this game with some grown ass men. You know, so I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure, but you know, the guys that can handle it, the guys that have the mental makeup and the physical makeup to do it, um, you know, where GMs are happy as hell to be able to find those guys. Yeah, and you know what? I I'd just like to say I think that there's and correct me if I'm wrong because I'm kind of out of pocket speaking here because I haven't lived in this in the shoes of you, but at my own workplace and just through my own life, I've noticed that the the scrappy people, the people that start from the bottom and work their way up, it's it's almost like their their fight is is on peril to somebody who starts out from from the top and and they're they're right there. You know what I mean? So. I, did you guys find yourselves like gravitating to those uh, people on your uh, team and whatnot and kind of being closer to them and, and kind of, you know, connecting with them or, or what was it like, you know? Hey, man, I was I was close with everybody. Everybody? I was close with everybody. That's awesome. um, you, you, you find locker rooms or like anywhere else, man, there are different niches. There are different groups. Uh, you know, everybody wants to classify everybody as O linemen are here and D linemen are there, tight ends hang out over here. But, you know, some of my best friends were wide receivers. You know, um, it's you find guys that you have things in common with off the field because you all have the same thing in common on the field. You want to win. You know, every, everybody wants to play and everybody wants to win. Um, off the field, you know, you find guys that you have more things in common with than others. You know, I I got to the Bears and, you know, I came from a small black college. So being in uh, NFL locker room with Mark Bortz and Steve McMichael, uh, that was a little different for me at first. You know, so it's, you know, but, you know, you learn and you meet people and you learn that, you know, these guys are a lot like I am, just from different places, you know, so it's, you have your, you have your different niches, you know, just like you guys have at work, you know, but with being a free agent, like for me, I always felt like even, even when the target wasn't on my back. I always had the mentality of targets on my back. Yeah, they were always bringing. They were always bringing somebody in to take my place. Yes, you know. So I never felt secure, never felt safe. I tell people I went into my I went into my twelfth year and you know never felt safe. You know? That's that was that was that was my mentality. That's what kept me going. That's what you know, kind of made me roll. Yeah, you know, and Big Cat, you said it coming from Cheney University. A small school to to the show. You're on an offensive line with some future Hall of Famers. For you, what was the biggest adjust adjustment 
opposite end, playing the offensive line in the NFL. And then also, what did you do? What, what adjustments did you make, particularly your maybe your rookie and sophomore seasons, to adapt your game to the, to the, the speed, the pace, and the wear and tear of the NFL? Okay. First, you didn't do your homework. Because I came in as a defensive lineman. Oh, I came in. I came in as a defensive tackle. Uh, I came in. I came in the same year that uh, Zorch came in. That was my rookie roommate, Chris Zorch. Um, so I played my first two seasons on the defensive line, and halfway through my second season, I saw the writing on the wall. Um, you know, Chris was the uh, early pick. My in '91, '92 they picked up Alonzo Spellman, so it was you know the writing was on the wall that I wasn't you know long for this defensive line. So to get moved to offense was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. I I didn't think of it at the time, you know I wanted to be a defensive player for all the glam and glory is, but um, you know being able to take that defensive mentality over to offense and still be able to get away with some of the things, same things that I was able to do on defense. It was a lot different, but um, it was an adjustment that you know, had to be made. So I had to learn a new stance, uh, difference between a offensive playbook and a defensive playbook. Uh, defensive playbook is like a coloring book, and a offensive playbook is like Mandarin. And I don't speak Mandarin, so it was it, it was a big difference, man. I mean, you know, just having to learn plays from an offensive point of view, and uh, now having to not watch the ball but actually know what the snap count is. Um, you know, knowing knowing when an audible is called, knowing you know all these different things that you really didn't have to think about on defense. Um, you know, find ball, get ball, eat ball, eat guy with ball. You know, on offense, you know, they always told me whenever I was there, there and them, oh, you know, come on over to the smart side of the ball. And I always laughed it off, never understanding what they were talking about until I actually started to look through a playbook. And I was like, this is a lot. <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's a learning experience, though, because you have to – you know, coming from defense, now I have to learn how to get into an offensive lineman's stance. Never been in an offensive lineman's stance. So now I have to learn how to do everything out of an offensive lineman's stance. I have to be able to step left. I have to be able to step right. I got to be able to go backwards. You know, you have to do the most unnatural thing in the world. 300-pound, 350-pound man moving backwards while blocking another 290-pound man moving forward. I mean, just, you know, Physics just isn't right for that. But, you know, you learn how to do it. And I had, like I said, I had some good teachers on both sides of the ball that were able to help me. You know, even once I moved the offense, the defensive guys were able to help me with my game also. So, you know, it was a it was a group effort getting me from defense to offense. Big Cat, did you ever get the opportunity to play Kellen's position and catch a ball or anything like that? Or no, uh, if I ever touched the ball, something had seriously gone wrong. <laughs> hey, what is it about our offensive line? Whenever the ball, like a fumble or something, happens, like no matter how many times the coach tells you to just 
fall on it, you want to pick it up because this is your moment, you know? Like It's, it's your moment, man. <laughs> it's your moment. You don't know when it's going to come around again. And if I can scoop and score with that thing, I've got my name in the books now. You know what I mean? That's all I need is my name in the books. <laughs> hey, they asked me in uh, my Division three college if I wanted to play Kellen's position. And I said, yeah, I'd love to. I, I think I got some great hands. Let's try it out. They had me running with the receivers and still playing with my old line. So I had to run more with the receivers. And I said, I'm going to focus that left tackle. I'm good with the tight end position. <laughs> hey, I went out uh, one year. We came back for camp. And I decided that I was going to work out with Curtis Conway and Jeff Grant during the offseason as far as getting my win together and things like that. So we're over at Hollis Hall for, you know, just getting – just, you know, get ready to get our workout in. And we go through about a half hour, 45 minutes of running. And like, all right, you ready to go? I'm like, am I ready to go? I'm done. You know, that was, <laughs> that was their stretch. And I was done. I was like, yeah, we don't do the same kind of running. <laughs> you know, but it's, you know, it, it, it's, I, I would have loved to. I, I played tight end for one day in college. And a senior safety, uh, Reggie, I forget his last name, came across, hit me across the knees after I caught the ball. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to be hit. I'd rather do the hitting. I don't want to really be hit. So that's what that's what moved me over to defense in college. Okay, okay. Yeah. So what do you guys think about this uh, this draft pick? I mean, honestly, would you take that uh, that the number nine uh at number nine, would you take that uh, Carter? Or, I mean, what, what's that like? Have you ever had anybody uh, around you that has those potential issues and been able to mentor them or see them come from, like, a troubled past and been able to excel or whatnot? Do you think that our, right now with the climate of our Bears locker room uh, could, could handle that? What do, what do you guys think? Do you think we should try it out or what? Hmm. Um, I think that's a that's a tough call, and it really depends on that locker room. Uh, they're they're real young, um, so you know, young giving advice to the young. Eh, I don't know. It, it was totally different for me when uh, when I came in because the team was very veteran. You know, like I walked into a really good situation with a lot of a lot of people who knew what they were doing, and that helped me out a ton. Um, but yeah, I mean, like with a high pick like that. That's that's a tough call, man. Like I watched the kid play in the national championship. He's a good player. He really is, and he he could translate well. But that's a you know that's a that's a big red flag early before he even step on the field. So you know once he gets some money in his pocket, what's going to happen? That's a that's a big what if because like like Big Cat was saying, you get you get that first check, it's more money than your probably your whole family scene. <laughs> right. You know that's how it was for me. So it's. You gotta, you gotta find your ground, and you have to have people that are grounded around you to help you grow. Um, I, I think that there are a lot more problem guys in a locker room than you would probably believe. You know what I mean? That just haven't been caught. You know, unfortunately, he was in a bad situation. Doesn't mean you can't grow from it. Doesn't mean you no, can't learn no. from it. 
you know, um, but it is a risk, you know, and when you're talking about a young GM, a young new president, well, not a young new president, but a new president, um, is that a chance that you're willing to take? You know, there are there are always stories of the guys that have come up from hard upbringings and have made it. There are always the stories of the guys that haven't, too. You know, and sometimes, you know, we hear of guys that haven't made it and, you know, you, you don't really know why they didn't make it. You know, so you just, you just, you just never know. And like I said, until, until you get guys in that locker room, until you get guys on that field, until you get guys into the season, I mean, you, you just don't know. I mean, players, we see guys walk out onto the field, we watch them through the first practice. And our own minds were like, "Yeah, he ain't gonna make it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gonna. This dude's good, you know. Sometimes we're right, sometimes we're wrong. But, you know, I mean, when we first saw Erlacher, you know, Erlacher took three steps the wrong way, and we still couldn't stop him from getting to the ball. So we were like, Damn. he might be pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it, it all de- you know, it all depends on the individual, man. And, and, and like Kellen said, can you put some people around him that can help steer him in the right direction? Some guys you can't steer them. I mean, some guys can't get out of their own way. And if that's the type of guy that you bring in, I don't know anything about him, and I hope he's not that kind of guy. But there's nothing no one's, there's nothing anyone's going to be able to do. You know, but if he's a guy that can come in and take direction, can take a little bit of, you know, hard love and, you know, look, dude, I'm, I'm in this for you, but you've got to figure this shit out and do it the right way, then, you know, he'll be okay. Big Ken, where can all our uh, our listeners uh, find you? Where are you at right now? What do you got going on? Uh, right now, I just do a little coaching, and we do a podcast, the No Name Football Podcast, uh, with myself, Olin Krutz, and Jason McKee. So uh, we'll 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 have a couple episodes after the draft and. You know, we really don't get started going until the season gets started, until preseason. You've had, you, you're on the podcast. J-Mac's been on here like three times. I had no idea. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. You guys work together. What a small world. Yeah, yep. wow. and then we coach against, and then we coach against each other during the season, so. Yeah. <laughs> What's the that's record? Awesome. What's the record? Uh, we are 0-2. <laughs> we are 0-2. Yeah. Hey, man, it's I, I, I'm not even going to make up. I'm not even going to make up excuses, man. We should have beat them last year. They 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 beat us pretty handily this year. But um, different. It, it's it's the. It's the Bears playing the Badgers. You know what I mean? It's two, two different levels, man. I, so. We'll we'll have our shot. We got him again this year, the first game of the season. So we'll see if we can put some things on. You guys do any fun wagers on the games or anything like that? I couldn't tell you anything about that. (laughs) (laughs) I smell that lie over the microphone. (laughs) Guys, thanks so much for coming on tonight. And uh, 
you know, hopefully we can have you guys on in the, in the future, but uh, thank you so much for blessing us uh, on our podcast and uh, you fellas have a good night. Okay. Yeah. All right, man. You're awesome. Thank All you. Right, guys. Thanks. Kellen, guys.